1: What's good, y'all? This is Breeze Bruin from the Mighty Juggernauts. And make sure you subscribe and download the podcast, Library Rap, The Hip-Hop Interviews with Tim einen Hip-Hop Journalism on the Highest Level.
3: With Tim Ironcow, it is
1: oh fucking official, all right? Stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews
3: with Tim Ironcow. It's cold. Yeah. You are
4: tuned into the Library with Tim Ironcow.
2: My guest this week is a hip hop pioneer who dropped her first album in 1988. She has eight albums under her belt. She's been featured on songs with Shannon O'Connor, Chuck D, Ice T, Karis One, Will Smith, Common, Moby, and many more. She's an author, a DJ, a lyricist. She's a true artist. She's MC Light. I want to welcome her to the library with Timonico. Welcome, Miss Light. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I just want to start, prior to picking up a pen and writing rhymes, what drew you to rap music and hip-hop culture, and then what did you want it to teach and contribute to the culture and the music, but what did you want the music and the culture to teach and contribute to you?
3: Well, it had already um, contributed, uh, I guess, the art of storytelling, um, because that's what really drew me to it. I think the first record i probably learned all of the words too was um the message with Melly mel
4: broken glass everywhere people pissing on the stage you know they just don't care i can't take the smell can't take the noise got no money to move out i guess i got no choice Rats in the front room roaches in the back junkies in the alley with the and baseball. you know uh, grandmaster
3: flash furious five and it, it just was um it was everything. I mean, the beat, the music was so ominous and the the lyrics were, were so vivid. Uh, I mean, well, they vividly painted this picture of the Bronx and everything that was happening there. And I think I definitely heard the song prior to knowing what the Bronx was all about. But I loved the way those lyrics hit. And immediately it put me in a space where I wanted to be able to do that. When I got when I got older. I wanted to be able to you know, use my words to paint a picture. And then of course when I heard salt and pepper it was over and I really believed that I could actually do it. But I think my job and the reason why I Completely found myself immersed in hip hop was to put into words the reason why my generation shouldn't bother with drugs at all. That was my main objective getting into the business was to speak to my generation about drugs and how they should leave them alone and you know not be involved with drug dealers and not have friends that sold drugs just stay as far away from them as possible. So I think it was more about the the social awareness was the reason why I became involved and why it was so much uh, so imperative that I participate within the culture.
2: At that time, was there, I mean, for you, was there already thoughts that this would be your career or was this more of, I mean, or was it still this, in terms of the hip hop community and rap music, was it just like, well, maybe this will you know, catch fire and like today become the number one genre and, you know, in the States, and in the world.
3: No, I didn't think that far. I just, you know, I pop, probably thought no, that it wouldn't be here this long. I don't know that I gave it much thought except <laughs> this is what I'm going to do until I'm 27. Then I'm going to get married. Then I'm going to have some kids and I will not, I won't be emceeing you know for the rest of my life mm. <laughs> but little did i know it would be something that i'd love to do forever if possible
2: prior to our interview i was reading uh, reading interviews that you've done and I, something that caught my eyes that you uh you talked about how your mom used to play a lot of al green when you were growing up how did your mom's music kind of shape you as an artist that the artist you are today
3: uh, well, there were there were three different sources that kind of shaped my uh, my palate, uh, for music, and you know, with my mom, yes, you know, Al Green was one of uh, definitely a staple in the house, uh, and I remember seeing his album cover with, amongst many, but on the top, leaning against the huge Lloyd. Uh, speaker system mm. that existed in the living room now. Um, but she also listened to a lot of soft rock. Mm. So, you know, the, the lines, what do you get when you fall in love? You only get love, you know, you only get pain and sorrow. So at least once until tomorrow, my friend, I'm never going to fall in love again, which are, you know, words from I'm not having it, but I got those words from a Dionne Warwick song. Mm. So it was you know, it could have been Neil Diamond and oh boy, Billy Joel, Elk John and James Taylor and Chattel King and you know, just the Carpenters, a whole different kind of world and then my uncle had D-Train and the OJs and Tina Marie and Rick James and you know, all of that stuff and then of course my cousins in Spanish Harlem were all about hip-hop where I heard the Treacherous 3 and Curtis Blow and you know, just the funky four plus one more, and so it was. It was definitely, and then where I lived in Brooklyn was reggae. You know, every day, all day. So it was a wide range, and I think um, I used some of those uh, influences throughout my rap. You know, I think in one song uh, I say something about getting cooped, and that was in Survival of the Fittest, and that, of course, came from Shelly Thunder, which, which was a reggae song. So I, I've used the inspiration throughout my music and lyrical contributions.
2: MC are we, we, we obviously all know you as the solo artist, but uh, during an interview I did with uh, King of Chill, he remembers meeting you as part of this group, uh, Sparkle and Dazzle. Uh, for the listener, who were Sparkle and Dazzle and kind of what, what did you hope for the group to become?
3: Well, the group was called Pure Elegance and, you know, each of us had a name, of course. Um, I don't know. At that time, I think we were really just having fun with what we were doing. And I remember um, we wound up getting a manager and... um You know, at that time I was going to school, I was in high school and, you know, I'd sent my registration money for college. Like, so it would just, it was like the thing to do at that point to see, you know, where we would go, I guess. But she wound up going to, I think, nursing school Mm -hmm. and I wound up auditioning as a female, as a solo female artist for the record label. So
2: when, when you auditioned for the label, I'm, I heard you say that uh, you were kind of, you, you presented them essentially a book of poems, uh, and then they decided that they wanted to create beats around your poems. Did you want your poems to become rhymes, per se, or when you first wrote them? Because ultimately, what did you want your poems to become prior to this audition with the record label?
3: Um, I think... That I want my poems to become I mean I wanted them to be used and i I did foresee see them uh to music and, and it might have been you know poet poems slash lives excuse me, they just weren't written to music mm. you know they they were written uh you know to to just paper and you know my thoughts as opposed to being. Incited by a beat or, or something of that nature. But I was ha- I'll tell you one thing, I was happy I had that book. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't looked in the book in forever. You know, I started writing that in that book, I think when I was 12. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a composition book with just a whole lot of stuff in it. And I remember at the audition, I just kind of rummaged through and found things that you know, looked interesting and just spat them out and they sometimes, uh, I think at one point they had a couple of tracks already and I would put the rhyme to it and at other points they would just start creating right there on drum machines, which I think is how I couldn't understand you was born. And the reason why it's so long and it doesn't have any kind of format to it, it's just Here, take all
2: of it. King Chill remembers the weekend that you you spit crammed, understand. He said he was completely blown away by what you did. What was your. Did you have your own personal thoughts about the rhyme at the time? And did you kind of think what you were doing at this time was such a quote unquote big deal?
3: Uh, You know what? Looking back, you know, it's definitely kind of missing parts to it you know it's always like your memory you don't remember like everything I mean you do remember everything but consciously it's like snap you know it's like photo snap or like a quick montage of the things that you do remember and I just remember it happening very quickly and I remember going to the audition and then the day after being told that they wanted me to be their female and see on the record label.
2: Mm.
3: And um, the time spent there yeah I was ready. you know I had done all this practicing with George Lucian so I, I knew I had a point of view. I had rehearsed so my voice was strong. So, um, I I was, I think I was more ready than they could have ever imagined. So, yeah, I guess we did it over a weekend, huh? I don't, I don't recall how long it took. I don't recall how long the process took. Uh, it just seemed very quick to me. So, yeah. They said we only looking out for your best
1: interest.
2: You talked about in the past about um, how you saw collaborations as being very important to you uh, in, in in this in this industry, and you've done some great collaborations. But I want to kind of fast forward to today about how it seems that everyone has a feature on someone's album. Was that the kind of collaborations that you're envisioning when you say collaborations are important to you? That just anyone could be featured on someone's song, or is it more of the process of you know writing together, or you know making sure that? your verse matches his or her verse. Um, What were you envisioning when you kind of made that plan?
3: Uh, I guess just cohesiveness and the art of combining thought and and action and I guess like-mindedness happening and being able to you know, come together for a specific mission. And I think the. What I was probably talking about was uh, the collaboration that happens between an artist and a producer.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, I, I might have been talking about that mm-hmm. more so than many artists on a record although i feel that's just as important but at the time i meant being able to really sit down with a producer and collaborate with one another and i think you know throughout the time i've worked with a lot of producers and you know choosing a track from a producer and going in with them and just you know, putting whatever I want over it is one thing. Then it's another thing to work with a producer where they create the music with you there and they have a lot of input that they'd like to impart with the creation of the rhyme, you know, with the lyrics and the topic and the content and so on and so forth. And I think that level of, collaboration is much more enticing to me than just, you know, sending me a track and me writing over it. That's, you know, I can do that all day. Matter of fact, I, I wind up writing the tracks that I don't actually record to. <laughs> <laughs> if, that, if that makes any sense. But like, if I hear a track that's just like, Oh my God, it just like incites a whole nother level of, Rhyme, I may write to it and not even really use it because mm-hmm. it doesn't, um, it kind of doesn't elevate my game musically. Like, been there, kind of done that in that way, but it still gives me a reason to rhyme.
2: Are you still? I mean, are you still able to, because you're obviously continuing to create music, but are you still able to have that producer MC collaboration process where you're able to sit down with the artist or is it just kind of by default that everyone wants to send like the email, you know, back and forth to each other?
3: (laughs) Well, I just think it's... um... It's probably in lieu of con, you know, everybody's spread out and it's like, okay, when will we get together to make this happen?
2: Right.
3: You know, we, uh, Kane and I are working on a project and really it's about our schedule and being in the room at the same time and having it be completely cohesive and not like I drop a verse and just send this thing. It, it takes for, it takes for better planning. To have something that really sounds like you were in the studio at the same time, so and that that's the kind of work that I would actually like to do. where if we weren't there at the same time, you can't tell.
2: When you did uh, a, one, of, one of I think one of the most powerful collaborations, you did a you did a stick with uh, Chuck D, Ice T, and Ice Cube. Off a of Terminator X's album, was that collaboration? Uh-huh. Was that a collaboration process where you all were able to be in the studio at the same time? Uh, how did that come? How did that come about?
3: Uh, I think Chuck asked me to be on it, and um, no, we were not in the studio at the same time. However, I did go to Chuck's studio to do it. You know, it probably still was the same microphone the same board, you know, that had taken in all of the vocals and such. So um, I think that that stands for something. It wasn't, you know, them trying to match audio that was sent in. I actually went to the studio and recorded it there.
2: One thing, uh, you know, going to this interview, I appreciate, is trying to listen to all your entire discography. And I noticed that you really adapt styles really well um and and you even talk about how you have to do that in uh the track uh trRrg off as of bad as I want to be
1: when you begin to think you can't be going but you can be going in the blink of an eye don't ask why cause you tried somebody came along that was twice as fly I remember when I hit the scene it was the second phase won't change the finger rings those were the days quarters
2: My poor- uh where you kind of talk about adaptive styles and also lasting in the industry. When did you personally learn this lesson about how to last in the industry? And did did the business side of the industry ever deter you from pursuing the art?
3: Oh, goodness. Um, Well, I think, I definitely think it's necessary for one to do that. If not, you kind of get eaten up by these um, waves that kind of come through and shock the culture and send it in a completely different direction. And I think if you're smart enough, you can kind of get on that wave or at least have a group of people that tell you you should. And I think um, for me, it was just that. It was, you know, um, after poor Georgie, you know, things kind of went really hardcore with, you know, Cypress Hill and House of Pain and Naughty by Nature. And, you know, out of that... I was able to, you know, go down to Teddy Riley and get Roughneck. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, you know, the big, the big deal from that record. And then when, you know, Biggie came and kind of cooled everything out and made it about lounges and chilling, and, you know, I was able to get uh, Keep On Keeping On from Jermaine with the success of. You know, escape and the things that were happening down in Georgia. And then the tide kind of went even, you know, more lax, but still, you know, with Biggie and Bad Boy lighting everything up, where I was able to get Cold Rock a party from Puffy, which, you know, he was on fire with all the remixes he was doing. And, you know, so just being able to, uh, you know, unfortunately, some could even look at it like jumping on a bandwagon, but because I had been in hip hop, you know, since '87, it felt, you know, almost natural to kind of add these pieces to the disc- discography. And the funny thing is, you said eight albums. I actually have ten, but the last two, of course, were independent. So it was kind of hard for people to uh, to understand. It's still something that I do. I put music on my mc light app all the time and i have you know an album called legend that was released vinyl only about three years ago which has common and coco and faith and Lil mama and kenny Lattimore. it's like a, it's a great piece of work that is definitely worthy of uh worthy of checking out and then most recently I have spotlight which was part of a Nissan initiative and activation at the BET Awards and and that record is just cold so um, I guess it's just all about what's happening at the time and if you're lucky enough to you know have your hands on the pulse of what's happening then you can be counted in. And I, I was able to do that for many years, which to me is really important. And I think there's there's definitely other MCs. LL has been able to do that, you know, to move with the times and work with the producers that are setting that, you know, that sound up for that era of time.
2: Do you have a favorite kind of style or error that you like to rhyme over or at? And is there one that's like the most challenging? So, for example, when I listen to, like you mentioned, Legend and the song uh, with Little Mama, you rhyme incredibly fast. And to me, who can't rhyme for to save his life? That seems the most challenging in the world. But is that actually challenging for you? Or is that just more kind of like a, you know, just, uh, just something you do?
3: Yeah, it's just something I do. It doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel out of my range to me. It just feels like, oh, yeah, this is another style. Let me kick this. So, um, you know, all oh, from the very beginning, there have been different registers that my voice has gone in. Um, you know, Light of the Rock to me was you know, very sort of cut through, you know, my voice was at a higher range and this is where I stayed up there. And then I had 10% this where I was able to come down here and kind of live. So I think um, I've existed displaying many different ranges of my voice. And, you know, with uh, the song you're talking about is Ball. I, I enjoy that. Just as much as I do the smaller type syncopation, uh, it, just, it just depends on what the music calls for.
2: So, Legend was your first album in over eleven years, and that was dropped in two thousand fifteen. Uh, where are you now as an MC? And then, what's next for M- MC Light the MC? But what also, what's next for MC Light the person?
3: Well, you know, I'm still creating. We've got lots of music of um, that. Uh, That feels good, and I'm, you know, entering into the licensing game in terms of uh, knowing that the music has legs to kind of walk and live in many different spaces, so that feels good. And I kind of create when I want to, as opposed to, you know, meeting deadlines or um, I think... Many years ago, I would only go in the studio when it was time for an album because I would be I would work so hard outside of that space that by the time I was finished touring and so on and so forth, I wanted to rest until really going back into the studio. But now I kind of go in whenever I feel whenever there's a piece of music that inspires me to go in and write. So, yeah, I think definitely looking forward to uh, the fans. Should look forward to m- more music through my app, which is where they can stream everything. And then, you know, for MC Light, I'm uh, doing more production uh, development for television, for film uh, as a company, which I'm excited about. And a lot of things coming down the pipeline to be excited about for me. And then, uh, you know, just making sure to balance everything properly. I have a husband now, so that's extremely congratulations important. And I have mm-hmm. a huge, yeah, thank you. Uh, I have a huge part of my life now is devoted to making sure that my marriage is solid and strong and expanding and growing and and then a business that's thriving where we manage other artists and. Creative types, so that's important, so it's all pretty much a balancing act at this point.
2: I have one more question you've I feel like you've probably heard every every record imaginable uh, has there ever been one kind of hip-hop record that that's not yours that kind of has completely blown you away and had you say like well, I wish I wrote that or at least I wish I was a fly on the wall when that was produced? Uh,
3: probably. Probably the show. (laughs) You know, when the the show came out, I thought hip-hop was over. I was like, what else can you do? (laughs) Like, this is beyond anything that, um, I I don't know, creatively, they just went so many places with that song. And I felt like, wow, I wish I could have been there during the process of that song. And then afterwards, you know, you have Kanye. You know, I like mm-hmm. to be a fly on the wall of anything that he does. It's like, okay, how'd you get there? Where'd you start? And how'd you end up over there? And, you know, I'm fascinated by many. Uh, Swift Beats, Um, I've been in the room and a part of uh, the Neptune's production, so I kind of see how that works. Mm-hmm. But for some of the other things that have come to be outcasts and the dungeon family it's like what the hell what are they doing in there (laughs) you know prior to laying all of that stuff down that to me definitely helps to shape a better hip-hop so I I love the culture I'd I'd be a fly on the wall for a session with everyone just once
2: (laughs) She's a legend, she's a hip-hop pioneer, Uh, she's one of the greats. Uh, MC Light, thank you so much for joining me on The Library with Tim Nicole.
3: Thank you so much, and I appreciate the platform, and, you know, great success with uh, many years of doing what it is that you do. Thank
1: you. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Ice-T.
3: I want you to do something for me. Make sure you download and subscribe Library Rap, the hip-hop interview with Tim Ironcow. It is old fucking official. All right? Stop playing.
4: Download and subscribe Library Rap, the hip-hop interview
1: with Tim Ironcow. The light ill watch. That's just the way it is. Don't ever forget. either I'm someone else, and you know they been all in the way, just little obstacles. Chew em up, spit them out just like pops up. Suck is out of my way. We're not on the same wavelength. I show stability, potential, and strength. On the
4: other hand, you don't there are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery.